All right, we have Connor Rogers of Bleacher Report and the Badlands Podcast. How are you doing today, Connor? Good, man. Thanks for having me on. What's going on? Of course, not much. Uh, we just finished watching the Jets press conference this afternoon. Robert Sala has been introduced as the next head coach of the Jets. Uh, did anything stand out to you from today's press conference? Well, I think it's a little <laughs> different than two years ago, it would be safe to say, right? You could see the difference um, – in this hire compared to somebody like Adam Gase or really compared to anybody that is viewed as a specialist in this case. I think with Salah, what they were going for in this hire is a leader that he said it himself. He's going to focus on both sides of the ball. He's not going to call the defensive plays. I thought that was pretty interesting. It wasn't public knowledge that Jeff Ulbrich will be coming over from the Falcons to be the defensive coordinator who had had a lot of success with Raheem Morris after Dan Quinn was let go. So I think that's what was notable to me is that Salah's coming in and he's been pigeonholed by the media often as this guy that's, that's gonna, you know, really focus on defense. And he's, he's good at that. He's a good game planner. He's a good coach in that regards. I think he's um, developed his cover three scheme that he took from Seattle and, and kind of even improved it or, or developed it at times and made changes when he needs to make changes. But I think this is somebody that, who played tight end in college and has experience on the offensive side of the ball. And most importantly, wants to be the leader of this franchise. And and that's exactly what he's going to do. And I think him coming out and saying he trusts his play callers to do that on both sides of the ball is really putting his money where his mouth is. Yeah, I agree. Um, I I think one thing that stood out to me is I I feel like nationally and, and kind of locally is a lot of people pointed out, how good the defense was in San Francisco. And I think more of the reason why as to why it was hired was that leadership character was, were those leadership characteristics. I think they would have went with like a Wink Martindale or, uh, you know, uh, Brandon Staley, if they were looking for more of a scheme guy, right? Like that scheme that Sal is running is used like across the NFL in a lot of ways. So I, I just feel like that's a little misconstrued. I really think that they've made this hire for CEO purposes and, and whatnot, you know? <clears throat> yeah, I, I think that's exactly it. They're looking for somebody to, you know, a lot of things that have gotten away from the Jets over the years, and even in the Todd Bowles era, was game management, right? Yeah. Control the clock, control the timeouts, understanding the situational uh, situation that you're in and, and coming into or out of halftime and making the important adjustments of, of what your shortcomings were in the first half. And, and quite frankly, it feels like the reason that they never made those adjustments or did any of those things is because you have a guy like Todd Bowles that was immersed in the defense. You have a guy like Adam Gase that was immersed in the offense and notably the quarterback. And while there are advantages to having that, it overall does often have a negative impact on the team. And I think a lot of people like to sit here and, and get caught up in the offensive coaches or, or they like to counter and say, look at the defensive guys that are still in the postseason. You know, you look at uh, Sean McDermott on the Bills. We, we've talked about it many times with Bill Belichick. But yep. those guys understand both sides of the ball just because of their backgrounds or where they came from uh, often overlooks that. So I think it's the right move by the Jets. Salah's a guy that I, I had really thought was one of the best uh, head coaching candidates in the cycle. I thought he was mistakenly overlooked by a lot of teams. And, and for the Jets, who are not typically a lucky or fortunate, or even at times intelligent franchise, this was a really, really good move to get things in the right direction. Yeah, I would 100% agree with that. Um, and then quick question as to what your thoughts are, were on this. Do you think it was a little 
it, it was a little telling that they wouldn't commit to Darnold as the day one quarterback heading into training camp? Or do you think it's just them, you know, just playing it safe? Uh, it's something that isn't too abnormal. No, I thought it, honestly, I thought it was pretty telling. Now, here's a couple things, right? It's like the question before that, it yeah. almost felt like, you know, weird. obviously all the compliments. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all the compliments. And, and and I do know that Robert Salad does think highly of Sam Darnold. But I think when it comes down to it, them not committing, I mean, let's be real. Would, would Andy Reid say that about Patrick Mahomes? And that's even an extreme example. Yeah. Uh, here's a good one this week. I think it was actually today as we sit here and record this. You know, you have a guy like Andrew Barry, and and I believe I'm I'm correct about this. I hope it was him, but somebody associated with the Browns, I believe it was their general manager, Andrew Barry, said on the radio like they they are really excited about Baker Mayfield next year. They like the production they got out of that position this year. Yeah. I, I mean, that's a guy that was drafted two picks before Sam Darnold, and you just don't hear those things with Sam Darnold. You don't hear that. Hey, we like the production he gave us. We like what he can give us next year. It's more of we have a lot of work to do. I have to talk to Joe Douglas. The Jets are picking number two in the draft for many reasons, but unfortunately one of those reasons was that Sam Darnold played very, very poorly last year. And, and yes, there are a million factors you can attribute to that, but at the end of the day, he did play poorly. And this is a very good quarterback class that I know you and I are going to talk about. And, and I think it speaks volumes. I'm not saying the Jets are moving on from Sam Darnold, but I'm saying that there is a very good chance they do now. I agree. And I think that's the right way to look at it too. I don't think, and look, this is coming from, I was not enthralled with them drafting Sam Donald a couple of years ago. Um, and I don't know if he's, I'm not going to call him a bust because I do think that he has a shot to go somewhere else and be used and be a quality starter, but he's never going to be a top 10 quarterback in my eyes, you know, and, and that's just, it's just a fact or he has physical limitations. Um, and if you take a guy like Fields, Wilson, or even Lance, like you have that opportunity to breach that top 10 quarterback. And that's, that opens up a whole new uh, world of possibilities when it comes to making the playoffs, even if your roster isn't that great. You know, uh, I, I really do believe that top 10 quarterbacks are, you know, maybe your roster's down a little bit, but they can carry and get you those couple extra wins to get you in the playoffs and make you make some of that noise. Um, so I do think that, um, you're, you're absolutely correct with what you were saying. And I think another thing, honestly, Pat, that people just don't talk about enough, and of course a lot of the diehards on Twitter are a lot of people that are, you know, very heavily invested in team building or cap, salary cap, but I think the national media or even a lot of beat writers neglect this, is that, you know, Joe, Joe Douglas didn't draft Sam Darnold. And I'm sure yeah. Joe Douglas probably thought pretty highly of him because a lot of guys in the league did. I mean, that's an assumption, so maybe I'm wrong, but – the thing is here, there are salary cap ramifications in play here that are astronomical. Yep. And sure, Sam Darnold is, is coming into the low hit this year. You got to decide on that fifth-year team option pretty soon. It's going to be over $25 million. And if he kind of has one of those years where you still don't know what he is or you <clears throat> that's your excuse, then you've got to decide what to pay him. No quarterbacks get cheap contracts anymore. It, this is just a really good time to hit the refresh button. You have a new offensive coordinator. You have a new head coach. You have a GM that the head coach is now reporting to, which was announced today, yep. where let's let's align everybody, and that includes, and maybe most importantly, the quarterback. If this was a bad quarterback class, I understand it, but it's not. The, the obvious situation right here 
is that they have a lot of good options at number two to really get this thing right. Yeah, and another thing that, that I, I should probably add is my, my theory on this is that, look, Joe Douglas passes on a quarterback at two. Sam Darnold gets them to, what, seven wins next year, and you and any of the three quarterbacks that don't go first are studs. Like, Joe Douglas's head's on a stick, and they're picking 12th in next year's draft, and next year's quarterback class is – it has a couple of names, but it's a lot of question marks as well. Um, so it almost puts you in that no man's land category where maybe you're bringing a veteran in because you're picking 13th or 12th or whatever because you ended up with six or seven wins under a very below average Sam Darnold, uh, assuming they would have kept him. You know what I mean? So like if and then all of a sudden Wilson or whoever breaks out next year in their rookie year and they kill it and then the fans are pissed, everyone's pissed, right? You had the number two pick and you passed on three guys. You know, it's a huge problem. And it's one that, you know, that's the, I think that's a really good point. Number one, which you just made the overall point is if Sam Darnold, whatever, if the team goes, you know, seven and nine, eight and whatever it's going to be, they get eight wins. They get, you know, anything that's not a playoff team. And of course that is completely also overlooking that, you know, this defense might be very good and you, you want the defense to be good, but you don't want them carrying the offense for the millionth year in a row for the Jets you're not you're not looking for average with Darnold. you're looking for him to be a top 10 quarterback and quite frankly based on the numbers that we've seen so far and just the eye test but really based on the numbers because that's what you could dig in and look at year three guys or breakouts and all of that he would be one of the biggest statistical outliers in nfl history at the quarterback position that and that is not in hyperbole that is not exaggeration that is hard numbers and data that say that so it's it's there's a lot of problems here going against keeping sam darnold 100 percent. all right let's get away from that a little bit and head back to the general nfl news that we just had we just had nick uh sirianni hired as the eagles coach uh the colts offensive coordinator that was announced during the presser uh initial thoughts on that i guess um i know obviously the eagles job was probably one that maybe some of the higher quality candidates kind of you know, tried to stay away from that are still left. Of course, we have Dayball left. Um, Joe Brady's still out there. We have, uh, of course, Eric Bieniemy. But what are your initial thoughts on this hire? Yeah, it's not a disrespect towards Sirianni or, or even the hire or him at all because he could turn out to be a good head coach. I just think there's a lot of unknowns right now around him. And this was the court that the Eagles were forced to play in yeah. when they, it all really trickles back to the fact that they should have made this work for with Doug one more year. This was not the time to fire him because Carson Wentz's contract made this the most undesirable job in this coaching cycle. And quite frankly, maybe the most undesirable job I've seen in a couple in recent years of covering the coaching cycle uh, very heavily. So I think when you look at it, It's a bad decision by ownership and and the GM, and it put them in a position where they weren't really looking in tier one, two, or three head coaching candidates. Now, I don't want to, you know, hedge and say, oh, well, they just got lucky if Sirianni works out. I do think there's potential there with him, but number one, you're so late in the game building a staff, right? We don't know what his – his staff has a lot of wild cards on it. It's going to be a lot of younger guys. He's already set up to fail because he is he has Carson Wentz 
uh, the contract on his hands and a lot of rumors that the owner and GM are really going to force Wentz to play essentially. Yep. So you're already creating a divided locker room with Jalen Hurts there. Understand it's not Jalen's fault. It's, it's, it goes against him. It's really not fair. So I, will he work out three year, four years from now when they can reset and, and get him an offense? Maybe, but was this there? If they made a list, I could tell you they did make a list and he wasn't number one. They were just playing catch up here and were turned away from so many different candidates. And I hope it works out for, for his case, but man, you know, this just kind of screams, man, it's just one of those ones where it's pretty clear that they didn't have a lot of leverage in the hiring process. Yeah. A hundred percent. And they also waited a week and a half to fire Doug Peterson. They got a late start. There were interviews going around when Doug Peterson was fired. Like, I, I just, I don't know. That kind of, that's, that's what I, I kind of don't, I didn't like that and they, it, they waited it, to do it. I don't understand that at all, but. And it makes you wonder what Houston's doing right now too. You I, know, it's, yeah. there, there's a lot of problems when you, you know, a lot of people like to sit in and say, oh, well, you know, this is going to be a slow process or this is, we're not in a rut. That's not up to you unless you want to yeah. sit there with no coach. You need to move quickly. It's why, yes, the Jets interviewed nine people, but they did it on the, on Zoom for four days. You could knock out those interviews so quickly. They didn't bring in nine people. They brought yeah. in two. And they knew they were hiring Robert Sala as soon as his Zoom interview concluded. So a lot of people like to, you know, kind of beat their chest and say, hey, we're going to take our time and do this our way. That's not how it works. You're not on your own time when you're looking for a new head coach. So do you think, I mean, just – uh, actually, you know, I'll ask you this first. Can we talk about what happened with the enemy again? Is it because he's still in the playoffs or what's going on here? And Dayball too, because it's, these were two of the, probably two going into the process would have been two of the better candidates that are sitting here without jobs. And maybe they turned away the Eagles and the Texans and they're not interested, but it just, it, kind of just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me that we're sitting here with the enemy with two years in a row, not getting a job and Dayball now maybe, I mean, after the chargers gave it to Brandon Staley, it kind of just didn't, it fell apart for him almost. Yeah, it did. So I'll start with the enemy because that's the one I know less about. And I think when you look at it, it's not that just, I know less about it. It's a lot of people can't really get inside the minds of teams that are doing this hiring process and just kind of passing over him time and time again. Now, I do think there's a part of him that also understands he is in a situation where their offense is going to be good every year. His name will be in the coaching cycle every year as long as, you know, Pat Mahomes continues to be Pat Mahomes, Andy Reid's Andy Reid, and Eric Bieniemy is Eric Bieniemy. He's, he's done a nice job there. Let's not overlook that fact. Now, what I can't understand is because I talked to one person that was a part of an interview process with him and really liked him and said they thought he could lead a team very well. They were excited about his offensive ideas, his ability to work with quarterbacks. And I know players really like him. So it's very hard to understand why GMs and owners or a, a, you know various amount of different people feel differently. And a lot of people just don't understand it. Now, there's a lot of politics in the NFL. You look at some of these hires that were made, you know, of course, Jacksonville swung big and went for Urban Meyer. And while some people like it, some people don't, you can under, you could process it, right? They have the number yeah. one pick. They, it's a big swing. It's a, hey, we're coming for it all. We're going to pay this coach whatever he got, probably over $10 million a year, on and on and on. I think with the Jets and Sala, 
the Jets were looking for a very specific kind of candidate in this class, a CEO, a leader, uh, a guy that's vocally very good with his players. And there just wasn't really those guys. And they got probably the best one in Salah. So you could explain those things. I can't sit here and explain to you how Dan Campbell is the coach of the Lions on a six-year deal. I don't understand that. I can't explain to you how Brandon Staley, who was in, you know, Division Three or whatever it was, football as a coordinator three or four years ago, is the head coach of the Chargers. Like, and I'm not saying those guys are going to fail, but I'm saying if you're projecting who you think would do a better job, you would think the enemy would be the guy. So yeah. that one's very difficult to figure out. Now, with Dable, I can actually explain this one because it, I think I have the story and it's pretty clear. My understanding of it is he thought he was getting the Chargers job and I think that's pretty fair because it's a perfect situation. When you look at Justin Herbert and you look at how well Josh Allen is playing and what Dable's done with Josh Allen, Herbert's much further along in his career than Allen was at that point of yep. his career, right? Like Allen was very raw as a rookie. Herbert was shockingly good. And I think Dable would have had that offense clicking on all cylinders. He has a relationship with Tom Telesco, the GM. Basically my understanding of it was Dable thought that job was his and you know, uh, the problem is he thought that job was his and then everybody in the league thought that job was his. Yep. So you have teams like the Jets, you have t- a lot of different teams that would have liked or were interested in him already made their move. They're like, all right, we're probably not getting this guy. We like some other people anyway. He's going to the Chargers. And then out of nowhere, the Chargers make this decision to hire Staley and it, something very interesting to me is I think a big part of the appeal of Staley was the staff he was bringing over from the Rams. And then Sean McVay blocked, blocked all of those moves. Yeah. So there is a lot of backlash here, a lot of problems behind the scenes. And, you know, for Brian Dable, I think a lot of jobs will be uh, high profile next year. I could see Minnesota being open. I could see, a, you know, I could even see the Steelers job potentially being open. Uh, you know, and I like Mike Tomlin. These are just early rumblings I've yeah. heard. So, okay. so I think he kind of, he gathered himself because Brian Dable could have gone, could have went to Houston right yeah. now. He just knows that's a terrible job. So I think he's gathering himself after being a little bit shocked and saying, Hey, I'll get one next year. Cause I know we're going to be really good again anyway. And then what's, what's going on with Martindale? Because him not getting an interview made no sense to me whatsoever, especially, I, I mean, a lot of people connected him with the jets going into it, but even o- overall in the league, as far as I'm concerned, he had no interviews unless he was turning them down because he was focused on the playoffs. I don't know. It doesn't, it didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I think two things. I think, you know, there's a little bit of it that people didn't want to wait very long to get that fully moving forward with him. And, and number two, people just aren't hiring a lot of defensive older guys in yeah. head coaching positions anymore. They're just not doing it. You look at Staley, the argument for him was, well, he, he played quarterback. So, yes, he's a defensive genius in a lot of minds, but he also understands the offensive side of the ball really, really well. So that was the sell with him. Wink didn't have that going for him, and, and Wink is obviously much older. Sala, it kind of goes back to what I said. He's going to lead the whole team. He's, he's played offense before. He's a great defensive mind, but he's, he's going to be a CEO. He's not going to be a coordinator-style head coach. So – and then everybody else, I mean, everybody else was, you know, brought in to be these offensive Arthur Smith down in Atlanta. Yep. Uh, you look at him, obviously, you know, Dan Campbell is, that's an interesting one, but it is what it is. <laughs> you know, Ur- Urban is Urban. So 
when you look at it, Wink just didn't have enough going for him, whether it was age, whether it was just being pigeonholed as this defense-only guy. I think a lot of people look at Wink and thought he was a little bit more polished and reserved Rex Ryan kind. Not not like a – like, you know, like a crazy – be old like defense. Rex. Rex was – yeah, just old-school defense. Yeah. Players love him. He is a really good coach. I think a lot of teams just were chasing offense in this. Yeah, I, I agree, and – uh, especially I, I noticed the age thing really stood out to me. Brandon Staley and Sal are like south of 42. Yeah. And Martindale's pushing 60, I think, mm-hmm. or, or he's up, he's, he's somewhere in that. It feels like a Vic Fangio kind of higher, which yes, not really doesn't get you excited, but like defensive scheme wise, solid higher, but you know, you, you worry about the offensive side of the ball. He's not a CEO guy, you know, um, but building off of that, uh, where are you with what happened between the Texans and Omar Khan? Um, I, I, it, reading about this, it, I mean, you want to talk about dysfunction. You think it couldn't get worse than this, but having an offer out for a guy and, and then having Easterby come in and pitch his own guy after you said he was going to have a reduced role, basically, and all of a sudden he's back and he's basically making his hire to save his own job, you know? Uh, so where are you at on that? Well, it's it's terrible, number one, in a sense of it's unprofessional. It is embarrassing for any organization. It just reeks of Easterby still being in control. And it reeks of Easterby not doing what's best for the Texans, but doing what's best for his himself and his long-term future. So, and also, the fact that, and I confirmed this because it's, you know, those things could be exaggerated at times. It, the contract was being negotiated as in a sense, they had made the decision to hire Omar Khan and then pulled it to hire, to pivot to Easterby's move. So it's a bad look. It's, it's, it, that gets around the league. Omar Khan is somebody that has, you know, worked for the Steelers for a while and knows a lot of people and is very well respected and, a lot of people around the league will look at that and it, basically it's just, um, you know, intensified a toxic situation that was already bad. And now you're looking at it. And the reason they're still looking for a head coach is because quite frankly, nobody wants to go there and their, their franchise quarterback, who's a superstar and very level-headed is, I, I don't know. I don't think he'll go back there. I really don't. I, I you know, I put a trade at 50%. But I think that might be being kind. I just – I don't see how they repair this with Deshaun Watson. I don't see how they get a head coach that isn't just a pawn for the other hires they have above him. And the Omar Khan situation is a good sample of how bad things are in Houston right now. So where, what would you do if you're Nick Casario then? Are you walking into that situation and trading Watson? And what are you asking? You know what I mean? Like, I, I can't – it's so hard to wrap your head around – a top, I mean, for me, it's borderline top five quarterback in this league. He's, he's a yeah, special I, I'd player. Put him in there. I, I yeah, would too. I would, yeah, I put him in there. Um, so, so well, it's out of his in. hands. Yeah, I so guess. They, but, Watson has a no trade, and if Watson doesn't want to show up, then what are you going to do, right? I, I guess. Yeah. And this is, but this is the thing: is he's under contract till twenty twenty five. He's stuck. For I, in my yeah. eye, I don't think he has as much leverage as, as like we think. Because if he holds out, say he doesn't show up, they don't pay him, 
and they go they're terrible the roster's terrible they're going to be Owen not Owen 16 but they're going to be 2 and 14 they went 4 and 12 with Watson at the at the quarter acquisition this year oh they know. can go Owen 16 yeah <laughs> trust so, me uh, yeah. they can so, go Owen 16 that's what I don't know uh, I, I, it's such a it's my, my stance on it is it won't reach that point because they'll just want to one, start over you're They'll want to start over, and two, you're you're breaking, you're burning a lot of bridges if you hold Watson hostage. Mm. And you know, David Mulligetta, well-respected agent, represents Watson. He has a lot of clients. He gets a lot of top college players. You you're gonna want to work with him and make sure this is done the right way if it comes down to it. Yeah. Uh, number, you know, looking at it again, is it it is it a way to completely? Lose your fan base, yes. But for Casario, six-year deal, that's a lot of time. Yep. And he might look at it and go, okay, we're starting from scratch. But And it makes it more difficult that Watson has a no trade because now you're not getting the best offer. You're getting the best offer that he'll sign off on. So say the Jets offer number two, two more first-round picks, and a third, and maybe a player that you like. But Watson says, I won't waive my no trade to go there. And Miami comes in and say, hey, we'll give you three ones. And that's not a number two pick yeah. in that either. You sit there and go, well, we like the Jets offer better. It doesn't matter. Watson can say, I'm not waving the no trade. So it's a bad spot to be in. You're right. I think yeah. if they ultimately move him, they get a lot of assets that they can use to build the team up. But it, it this is something that could set you back for three years. No, you're absolutely right. That That's a really good point with – uh, the connections saying you're burning bridges and, and whatnot. It's just, it, yeah, it's just such a bad situation. How likely do you think it is that he does end up getting traded though before, I, I guess, say, the full? I say 50%. I say okay. 50%. I say, I think we don't know who the head coach is, right? Now, say yeah. if they somehow got the enemy or somebody that really can do wonders to, to get Watson on board, you just never know. So that's a, that's a factor. I don't think that's likely. Uh, another factor is, there's just not a market for him, which sounds yeah. crazy. A 25-year-old top five quarterback. But what I mean by there's not a market, well, if Watson won't waive his no trade for 28 teams and yeah. two of the other teams don't put in and the other two have weak – like there's a lot of problems here. This is one of the most difficult deals to structure that we've seen in NFL history. So now the, the reason it's still high at 50% is because he is – once you're fed up with the owner, he's not selling the team. This is, in my eyes, not repairable. Yeah, I, I agree. It's fifty oh, percent, man. I and mean, what do you think about the Jets? How, how likely is it that they are willing to give up the assets for him and that he waives his no trade clause? I guess, I guess, two things really have to happen. You know, it's well. The first be part, I think sides. they would do. I think okay. they would do the first part. I think it makes a lot of sense for them. I think that's why you stay flexible with all these assets. I think Robert Sala would be a perfect, you know, guy with for Watson. Mike Lafleur's offense is very quarterback friend, or will be quarterback friendly. They the Jets will still have ammo left over to build a team around him because they have a hundred million dollars in cap space. And say that they trade three ones, while well, they'll still pick in the first round anyway the next two years, and they have extra mid round picks. It goes on and on. And Joe Douglas thinks to, you know. It, is supposed to be a good drafter in mid rounds. You know, he hasn't had enough drafts, so we know that yet. Yeah. Now, the bigger issue, number two, is that I'm not convinced he waves that no trade clause. I think the problem is it's been leaked out that he wants Miami. 
I think the no state income tax thing is a very big deal to him over that $100 million guaranteed. I think that he wants to go somewhere that's kind of already built to win rather than ride out of more of a rebuild. Yeah. So I don't, I don't, I think that's the, I put it at 7% when somebody asked me this and that's really, really low. I might even go lower. I just haven't been convinced that he waves the no trade to go to the Jets. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you there. I, it, it scares the shit out of me thinking that Sean Watson might be on the Dolphins for the next 15 years. That would be if you've got Josh <laughs> Allen and Deshaun Watson yeah. in the same division. Yeah. All right, so let's move on to the Jets uh, for a little bit. Um, was Arthur, Arthur Smith really the second target, or was there someone else that was either still in the playoffs or they didn't bring him for a second interview that was in the conversation? So he was the number two guy. Now, there's a couple of things here. One, there was never a second round that everybody liked to talk up. It was – the Jets interviewed Robert Sala and knew they were going to hire him. They brought him in, and they were they knew they'd get this done. They'd set up a visit with Arthur Smith. There's so he went out to dinner with them. It was like a fake thing. It was like a yeah yeah. It was yeah, done it was thirty minutes. Yeah <laughs> yeah. So and here's the, it was mutual. The Jets knew they were hiring Robert Sala, and Arthur Smith knew he was going to the Falcons, a job yeah. that he liked more than the Jets' job anyway. So there was no real round two. The Jets' job was Robert Sala's. And it got done pretty smoothly, it feels like, as well. Why do you think the draft community and probably a large part of the media is so loyal to Darnold? And do you think it's because some of them are trying to save face for how they graded him? <laughs> That's, you answered your own question. A lot yeah. of people struggle to, to blame themselves for their evaluations. I think when you look at it with Sam Darnold, he was a guy that was either QB1 for people or a top five guy or – and you look at the situation that has not helped him, that's the New York Jets. So the, you, you always look to blame, right? It's a, yeah. it's a natural bias amongst people. They look to blame why things went wrong rather than themselves. So, yes, things have not been perfect for Darnold, but he has done really not much to help himself either in those situations. And I think, you know, people like to point to Ryan Tannehill. Ryan Tannehill was way better than Sam Darnold was at this point in their careers. It's, it's not comparable. I hate it's that comparison. It's not it's even really the same bad. talent-wise. It's not. It's, it's just it's not, not the same. It's not even close. It's not even close. So <laughs> that's you kind of nailed it, to be honest with you. So, I, and this the third part of this question is: I just wanted to bunk this narrative, right? Who was your top five in 2018? Because I, I, I doubt Sam Darnold was number one. Apparently, to everyone. Sam Darnold was QB one for every team in the league, except for the Browns in 2018 and every media. It's just, it's so ridiculous how we've all forgotten yeah. <laughs> that. I don't know. So who was your top five in 2018? So my top five was that number one is a bad one. Josh Rosen. <laughs> I mean, it's just a miss. There's no other way around it. It's yeah. a giant miss. Uh, and I could say that rather than saying, Hey, he was drafted. He was on two of the worst teams in football for his career. It's like, that's not the excuse. He just stunk. So uh, Josh Rosen, Baker Mayfield, Lamar Jackson, Sam Darnold, QB4, Josh Allen, QB5. Okay. And, see, yeah, go ahead. This, this was my point, is that it, the people had these five quarterbacks. Like, they were – I mean, the only two that really weren't the top guys was Lamar and Josh Allen. I mean, people had Josh Allen a little higher than – And than, some teams had him had him QB1. That yeah, I that, well, that's that's the thing is that I, I don't think – I would find it hard to believe that every team, like, had Mayfield or Darnold at number one and, uh, like, didn't evaluate Josh Allen for 
his trait for his arm in itself, you know, and developing what this guy. What I will say is teams were low on Lamar Jackson, and I never understood it. I, okay. I really – I understand that you think he was limited coming out as a thrower, but that doesn't mean he's limited as a quarterback. So yes. that was why I was much higher on Lamar than, than the NFL. I think I was – you know, Allen – it, Alan's funny to me because there was people that yelled at me for having him too high because I think I had him 42nd overall in that class. And a lot of people were like, well, he's not even a day two player. And then some people were like, well, he's a top 10 guy. So I just was like, okay, well, I, I'm going to scale, scale back and say, I, yeah. I love his talent. I really liked the person and like work ethic and mindset. I thought he really couldn't hit the front side of a barn and you know and I got to see him throw a couple times live and it, and it was just one and the bills will tell you the same thing they just developed the guy and yeah. he worked really hard and he got a lot better and that's why he was a quarterback that I had at the top of round two because you had to project so much with him and it, it turned out it literally turned out to the best case scenario the best version of Josh Allen that he could be I agree um and then to wrap up the jets because i really want to get to the draft is in your eyes from what you've heard about adam gase whether it be stories or whatever um and what you know about him what makes football minds like manning belichick saban and Pete carroll who interviewed him for the oc job think so highly of him because it's i mean it's something that i obviously from the outside it's hard to get a grasp for who he is inside the building um, obviously some players have had problems with them, but it seems like, you know, Peyton Manning, Bill Bill, that's a, that's a lot of big names that are, that think so highly of them. So what are your thoughts well, on that? One is a very smart individual in terms of, uh, storing information. And what I mean by that is it, it's almost like it's the classic case of maybe a kid. And I'm not saying Gase is this way, but it's a good example is like the kid you grew up with that could tell you like everything out of a book. But then if you like, you know, gave him a handwritten map and put him in an unknown area, he wouldn't be able to use instincts to, to get out of it because it's okay. just not that detailed form. So it's, I think with Gase, he could sit there and, and master something you tell him to study, or he could sit there and recall to you the last 10 playbooks, you know, that he's looked over, all of those things. And he also has a little bit of a used car salesman kind of interview ability where he can come up for a reason, always come up for an excuse why something didn't work yeah. or, and make it seem like it wasn't his fault and also explain to you why things are going to be so great moving forward. He's good in one-on-one -on -one situations like that. He really is. A lot of people don't know that. Now, why it didn't work is – one, he's one of the most stubborn human beings in the NFL. He will mm -hmm. not change his mindset on players. He will not change his mindset on philosophies. He will not make adjustments. He will not – I mean, the, the perfect example is how much the NFL has really used motion recently and how he's always one of the lowest, you know, teams in the league percentage-wise that use motion. He just won't gravitate to yeah. – I don't want to call motion like this modern <laughs> – evolution yeah. i'm just saying it's <laughs> no, something no, yeah, that has absolutely. helped a lot of quarterbacks and teams and recently now so that's a huge problem uh, number two he just really is not a processor on the spot in terms of play calling he and any jets fan i'll tell you this the first 15 plays of every game from every nfl offense are scripted it's that you yeah. come out and you practice them all week it's usually 15 to 18 plays Gase is really good at dialing those up. The Jets score on their opening drives almost every single week. Yep. 
when when teams make adjustments and he has to call things on the spot, it all falls apart for him. And you can kind of see why some guys might like him in an assistant role, but why he's a, an absolute disaster as a head coach. <laughs> Interesting. And I don't uh, think he's a good offensive coordinator either. No, I'll make yeah. that clear. I don't think he's a good play caller. But as an assistant to have on the staff, it, it, keep him away from play calling and whatnot. It's not the worst. I, I, I get what you mean by that. It's – it's, I'm scored by the last two head coaching opportunities he's had. It's fair. <laughs> All right, so let's let's hit the drift. Uh, first thing, we have the Senior Bowl next week. You heading down to Mobile? So this will be the first year in a long time. I'm I'm not going to be on the ground there. I'm going to cover it virtually. Uh, I get all the practice tape, you know, sent to me, and I, I just kind of had the, you know, number one, the pandemic is the no, yeah, absolutely. I won't be there. It's uh, it's pretty difficult to travel for work at, at the moment. And I think that, you know, a lot of the things that make the senior bowl special for someone like me are off the, off the, you know, off the table this year because of the pandemic, you, you can't meet up with, with connections you have with teams or scouts. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you really, you can't walk around during practice. I like to walk around the, the outside of the field and, and get a lot of different angles of drills and yeah. it's assigned seating this year. And I understand all of these. Things. No, yeah, absolutely. I absolutely do. Uh, I, you know, and assigned seating is kind of a fear for me. And especially when the practice tape will have every angle you need. Yeah. And, um, and I think, you know, the last one too is, you know, there, the player availability, once again, understandably, just, it just won't exist in the same format we're used to. So going to play it safe, going to stay in the Northeast up here and, and cover it all from home, no, I don't which I think will me. go pretty smoothly when you have the practice tape. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, so who, I guess, who some of the guys that you're most excited to watch down there? Well, I mean, not down there, but virtually, I guess. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it depends how much they do. Now, I think a lot of people are excited to see Mac Jones play outside of that Alabama structure. And okay. I completely, I completely understand that. I, I, I didn't like I it. Too. I didn't like it. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not a big, big Mac guy. <laughs> uh, yeah, I... I did him uh, a couple of days ago, and I I, I thought it was going to be uh, even. I, I had low expectations going into it, and I I just I didn't like it. I didn't. I'm not saying he's. I the fact that people were talking about him in the first round is is insane to me. That that's all I'll he's say. He's very that. Uh, Kirk Cousins light, is kind of what he is in my eyes. Yeah, that's not that's, that's not that's not a compliment. No, yeah, I I can I see what you mean by that. I, and that's just – that's why I wouldn't – I don't know. I can't. I, if you want to develop They both wear them, the biggest pads. Yeah. <laughs> I don't understand why. They, Dude, really, I, they both just wear the giant pads. There was a picture that went viral of him without his shirt on. and I saw. It, he uh, got bumped down a few spots after that. Not uh, a quarterback body. Yeah. <laughs> um, so outside of, like, the big names, do you have anybody else that you're excited to see? Jordan Smith would be the guy for me, the Ooh. pass rusher from UAB. I, yeah. I, I really – he got on my radar a little late. Uh, I did not really get to watch much UAB. And just watching his tape, I, I number one, the length is Evan. I think he'll come in at 6'6". Six, six. I know he's listed as 6'7". So 6'6 six, six is great height for a pass rusher. He could win with length, but I think he's a little twitchier than I expected for a guy that tall. So I, I think once some guys at the senior bowl, because they got some decent offensive linemen there, yep, you know, once sack. they get their hands inside him, I, I'm curious if he can counter. But yeah. I think it's hard to get your hands on him in general. So I, I'm Jordan Smith would be the number one guy that I want to watch there for pure curiosity of, of how he does against that level of competition. What are your thoughts on Eskridge? 
I love him. I, I think when you I... look at the <laughs> – the four three speed is exciting, but I think yeah. he plays bigger than his size. So. I can't believe that. There's no way that he's five nine. There's he's no small. way. I yeah. I don't believe it. He yeah, does not look it. Like he just does. I don't know why. To me, he maybe it's because of how he plays, but it just and the way they use him that it's a slant or a or a go route. And then yes. there's one there was one play that he he had like it was like a five yard curl, and the guy almost fell back. By the way. He, he, the corner almost fell down because he stopped on a dime and turned around. Yeah, he's yeah. very sharp. He, was, he's, he's a former defensive back, so yeah. you can see how he understands what to do against corners. And I think when you have that in your toolbox that you run a four-three-five, and and you have the mindset that I can win the football, I don't care that I'm the size of the, you know a really small slot receiver. I, I think Eskridge is a guy that's getting a lot of love now, and yeah. I'm, I'm glad to see him. He's not really in that sixth-round range anymore. He's more in that fourth-round range, and – and he's pretty exciting to me. Yeah, I I've noticed his name has popped up a lot more on, um, I guess Twitter and whatnot. And I think Daniel Jeremiah put something out about him, and little by little, it's starting to steam up a little bit. And I think that he can maybe uh, even move up a little bit more in the Senior Bowl uh, with some of the cornerbacks that well, are going. I, I, one of my favorite betting nights is always Maction games during the weekdays. Yeah, so that's why I knew about <laughs> Eskridge back in September. It's really the only reason why. Yeah. Uh, so who do you think is, I guess, the most to gain from from going down there? <clears throat> Probably Dylan Radens because he didn't have a season, right? Yeah, that's I, fair. I think that, it, and quite frankly, I have no opinion of him right now. It felt like he got way too much hype this summer, and, and then it felt like he obviously fell off the face of the earth this year because, once again, they didn't have a season. So he's somebody that what if he sh- – because he's really light, right? He kind of gave me um, uh, Jason Spriggs. The Packers okay. tackle from a couple years ago vibes. Yeah. And I didn't like him that year. And the Packers took him at the top of the second round. And the reason I didn't like him was because I didn't think he had the anchor or the core strength to hold up. And and I think Radens is better than him. I just want to make sure that he can do that against, you know, some of the good pass rushers there, uh, put on some weight, get stronger, use this time to your advantage to kind of change your body. You know, you're not an FCS guy anymore. Now you're going to be an NFL guy. So I think he has a lot to gain, assuming that he's full go for everything at the Senior Bowl. So, I mean, talking about – I was going to see this later, but since you brought him up, do you think the NFL is going to value those who either opted out or had their seasons canceled a little less than someone that played this fall? And how are you personally viewing it? Right, we had Jamar Chase opt so they out. So Jamar Jr. didn't. <clears throat> Yeah, I, I've tried to kind of train my mind to not fall into recency bias. And, mm-hmm. and everybody's human, including everybody in the NFL. So they will. There will be recency bias. There, It will hurt guys. Now, what I could tell you is I don't understand why people don't like Jamar Chase all of a sudden. Oh, my God. I, I, it's I insane. I, I have him first. It. I have yeah, Smith third. Same. Yeah, same. I Chase, uh, Waddle, and Smith, Bateman. And, and I think when you look at it, you know, I, I don't know. Recency bias is a hell of a drug. And yeah. I think I, I think that team – Some let's put it like this. The good teams will not let it impact them. The bad teams that are, are too, you know, neurotic thinkers or eccentric thinkers uh, could let it absolutely impact that. And it could go the other way. You, you haven't seen these guys for a year, and then you fly them in. Hopefully they could still do this in April. You fly them in for a, a workout on, at your facility – 
and you go, oh my God, this guy's amazing. And, and then you overdraft him. So it can go both ways. Yeah. And I, I think that it's, it's incredible how we forgot what Jamar Chase did in last year's national championship game against the 16th pick in the at draft. At 19 years old. Against the 16th pick in the draft. Yeah. And at 19, he was a sophomore. He, he did it against AJ Terrell. And I don't know. I, yeah, whatever. It's, I, it's, I can't believe that people have him second or third. I, I just, it's, I don't, it's close, but it's not, it's honestly, for me, it, I'm it's with pretty, you. Yeah. I'm with you. I think uh, him and Waddle is closer than him. And yes. Smith. That's, I agree with that. That's what I was trying to say is I was the high, like, I feel iffy that I'm, that I'm saying it, but I, I kind of, I did them a couple, I did the Alabama guys this week, but I did chase a while ago and I like final grade wise, I was like, Oh shit. Like I'm going to have to like put out Devonte Smith third and like, Everyone's gonna, you know, I'm gonna have people in my mentions saying, "How are you gonna put the Heisman Trophy winner third? You know, but whatever. Yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, that doesn't <laughs> matter when it comes to the NFL. So. Yeah. Um. So I guess who are some of your guys in this draft? Like the guys that you'd be higher on than consensus? Well, Eskridge was one for a while, and now it's not really fun anymore. Uh, I would say <laughs> Jalen Darden from North Texas, and okay. that won't be fun in a month. So there's yeah, I saw right his there. name. His name is popping up now. Yeah, a I think lot, he's yeah. one of the better better separators in this draft out of the slot. So I really, really like him. It's a loaded slot class. It really yeah. is. You know, you have Tony, Elijah Moore, uh, Rondell Moore. It's crazy. So Darden will get in on the fun. I really, really like him. Um, I, I think I'm really high on Aziz Ojulari compared to everyone else. I had him, like, number 13 overall in November. And I don't know if that's if that's, you know – now the consensus, I think he's way better than Rousseau. So I think that's, that's definitely one for me. I'm trying to think of some that like will surprise people. You know, it's always hard to be takey with the draft because everybody's got a different kind of take. So I don't really know. Yeah. You know, I, I don't really love Kyle Trask and Mac Jones. Is I hate him take? too. Like both I, of them. Yeah. I, I, they can't play out of structure. <laughs> no. um, everything's got to be perfect. If anything, and, the Kyle yeah. Trask take, made me realize how great Kyle Pitts is going to be. That, that's yeah, that's that'll it'll do that to you. It really will. So, God, I'm right. trying to think of some other ones. I, I it's it's. Do tough you like? All right, here's a good one. Uh, not a good one, but in my eyes, a couple of guys that I have. Do you like Weaver out of Pitt? Uh he's okay. I, mean, I like not in first round. No, 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 not a first round guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But just in general, yeah. just like a yeah, he's he's solid. Yeah, I thought I thought, I thought he. Yeah, I do. I don't know how he'll test and that means a lot to me at yeah. age more than a lot of other well here's the thing where... is i feel like there's there are a couple of guys in this class where they were lining up almost as nines and in the on the yes. defensive line and i didn't like that like malik herring of georgia he's on two feet sometimes and he's like a big guy he looks like a defensive end of the it nfl looks, it looks ridiculous and it's but they, it's like george is funky like they used to i know yeah weird. they used to play jordan jenkins at like nose tackle and then move him to outside linebacker <laughs> and like they just do this all this nonsense and it works. Well, that was the thing is I liked Herring, but I was like, I don't like Herring if he's going to be lining up outside the tackle, you know? Yeah. Or, and I was like, he's a big body. I feel like you can kick him inside, not like as a as a nose guard, but like I think maybe the a defensive end. intriguing pass rusher to me is because so much of his stuff will come down to characters, Jalen Phillips. Uh, I think okay. that, he, I mean, he really has round one traits, size, length, explosiveness, you know, pass rush toolkit. Um, I, I just, there's a lot of questions there, you know, after the transfer from UCLA, a year off from football, I'm not saying he's a bad kid. I'm just saying a lot of people don't know what's, what's going on. Yeah. There. It was a the weird situation. 
Yeah, so that that's a guy that to me, if everything, if he's focused and everything is on the right trajectory, you could take him at you know number forty overall, and you might have found yourself a ten sack guy every year. A hundred percent. And then we we you brought up Rousseau, so I'm gonna ask this now. Beginning of the year, you have him fourteenth. He opts out. You had him in your twenties and your most recent big board. He's someone who I he intrigues me more than anything. Uh, of course, he has limited uh, experience at the position. Uh, he played wide receiver in high school. I think he, he still played defensive end, but you know uh, he's playing wide receiver. I'm pretty sure he played with the Ridley brothers at wide receiver. If I'm not mistaken, don't quote me on that. Um, he kind of resembles a little bit of Daniel Hunter out of LSU with how raw he was. Captain as a sophomore at Miami, and he, but he lines up everywhere on the defensive line, and they'd even drop him in the zone. So like, where are you at now with him? Um, I, I kind of cool on him each time I go back, right? I know, I think yeah. I, 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 yeah, I don't think he's very explosive. Um, I think he does a really nice job winning with his length. I, I think that there's a lot of meat left on the bone in terms of he's a really young guy that works really hard and, and the ceiling's untapped, right? Yeah. I, think that, I think that's exciting. I just don't know what that ceiling is. After one dominant year, he beat up on some horrible offensive yeah. lines. I mean, the Florida State game looked like a peewee game. Yeah. So I, I don't know if he'll end up in the first round for me. I really don't. Really, every time yeah. I go, every t- you know why this happens too? Because a lot of people go, oh, you like you liked him then, and now you don't like him. It's like y- no, you, you start watch to more. watch. Yeah. He's th- you start to watch guys that you actually like and go, wait a minute, why do I like this guy? And I'm also a sucker for for edges that are like Ojulari that are yeah. a little bit more compact and bendy and twitchy rather than upright and, and a little slower off the line of scrimmage. I don't – I've seen people think, talk about Rousseau's first step, but I don't really think it's that great. I don't, I don't think, think it's, it is either. I think it's – I don't think it's a it's – it's not a trait that I circle for him and go, okay, that's one reason why it'll work out. I actually thought it's a little slow. So yeah. I, I think that he'll go in the first round and, unless he just completely bombs out the testing, which he shouldn't. But I, I don't – I wouldn't – if I was a GM making the decision, I actually had somebody inquire with me about what I thought of him specifically because people are really trying to figure out, like, what is the deal with this guy? Like, is yeah. he a top five player? You know, and sometimes they go through media to get a consensus. And, and I said, I, I wouldn't take him in the first round if I was a team. Yeah, it's very risky. It's, uh, I obviously compared him a little bit to Daniel Hunter. That's the name I see thrown out a lot. But I think – I thought he was is more he Carlos more... Dunlap. I would have said he's almost more Arik Armstead to me. Yeah, that's too. We also don't know. We haven't seen him in so long. He might weigh 275 pounds now. That's instead true. Of yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. But like, I don't know. It's like, it's one of those things. And I feel like he got bashed a lot from, I know he got bashed a lot from Miami fans for opting out. Um, Which like, is ridiculous. Yeah. Absolutely ridiculous. Um, but I don't know. I, I, it's such a, I like you said you go back and you watch him again and you're like oh you know it's it's not as great as I, I thought it was maybe I was a little more higher on him a couple of days I ago I think his mom's a nurse too like there it, he had a pretty logical reason of why he didn't yeah. play it was I, people are ridiculous uh, yeah um I thought it was interesting that he'll line up at like he'll line up anywhere on the defensive line <laughs> nose tackle yeah he'll line up as the nose tackle yep. and yep. I don't know it's it I feel like some of his better snaps were almost when he was on the interior. On the, yeah. On the interior defensive yep, line. Absolutely. And that kind of interested me like, cause that you can, but here's the thing is I feel like with the NFL is like, there are some guys and this is what I'm worried about with pits, right? 
you draft a guy who's kind of freaky, but like, you know, you, he ends up in a weird scheme. And then instead of adapting to the guys you have on your team, you're kind of just like, oh, well, he sucked. Like, you know what I mean? Like, can you imagine like Kyle Pitts on in Adam Gase's scheme? Like, they don't use tight ends. You know what I mean? So, like, yeah, absolutely. If you draft Rousseau, like, you better either develop that edge or you like figure it out, you know? Like, so that's why I'm worried about how that's going to look if he ends up with, I don't even know, and it's some crappy organization that doesn't know what to do with him. <laughs> um, and then what else do we got? I guess let's finish it up with the uh, the quarterback conversation. Where are you at with the top four right now? And then how close is it? It's close in a sense of like how they rank in, in the top 10. I, I think Trevor Lawrence obviously is number one for me. Yeah. Uh, Zach Wilson is number two and, and Justin Fields and then Trey Lance. And I think when I look at that, I think all four guys go in the top eight. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have a little something, you know, different about each of them in terms of ceiling. I think Lawrence is the guy, right? I don't really need to yeah, spend a that's, lot of time so on that. Really, I'm really asking about the other three, to be honest. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's... I think Wilson, there's so many good things about him in terms of how he'll translate. I think the ball placement's phenomenal. I think he's very twitchy. I think there's no wasted movements in his motion. I think the ball is very snappy. I think he, he just gets the ball out. I think there's really no limitations on the field. So there's no throw he doesn't want to make. So, I mean, he could push the ball at all three levels with – really good velocity. The mobility is, is more than adequate. I, I think he's got a small body, so you, mm-hmm. you want to protect him. You don't want him to take a lot of hits. But he's, he's quarterback two for me. I don't really see – I don't think the, the miss rate on him is as high as a lot. People think, oh, he's going to struggle against better competition or this or that. I, I don't really have the fears, that floor feel, fear that so many people have with him. Now with Fields, you know, we've seen the great and the bad with him. Mm-hmm. I think the mobility is very good. I think that he's got a really strong arm outside the hashes. I think that the release and the actual internal clock are a, a tick slow. And you can have one or the other, but when you have both, you're going to throw a lot of interceptions because yeah. you, if your mind is late to where you want to go and then your release is a little slow, and that could be cleaned up, both of those things. He's a young quarterback. There's a reason why he's in my top five prospects. I think he's phenomenal. But you got to clean one of those things up or else it's going to be a really tough rookie transition. So I like Fields a lot. I think you could do a lot of different things with him on the move, including the read option. I think, And why I say that about him more than Wilson is I think while they're both pretty fast, I think Fields is a legitimate runner at the mm-hmm. second level of the field. He's got that big body. He can make you miss. Uh, he can take hits. He can play through contact. So I, I think, you know, you, there's a lot of reasons to be excited about both of them, as much as I like Wilson overall better as a thrower. And then Lance is the wild card, right? I mean, I think Lance has the best ball placement or touch accuracy almost out of maybe anybody in this draft at times now. Yeah. And he's a good runner. Now, once again, the competition was, was poor. I, I think that – you know, decision-making obviously didn't even throw an interception in that one full season he had. So you haven't really seen any problems there. But how many situations of adversity has he been put in? He's not asked to throw the ball 30 to 40 times a game. So there's so many unknowns with Lance that make him a really difficult projection. I'm curious to see what he looks like after a fall training. I'm pretty sure – is I, I don't know if he's still with them, but I'm pretty sure he's with Quincy Avery. He's with Quincy, yeah. They, yeah, they so work out every week. That's yep. an interesting – 
you know, he has a whole fall. You never really have this much time going into a draft. Oh, he's going to look good. Yeah. Yeah, Teams are going to really like what they see when he works (laughs) out for them. So the thing I, I can't make up my mind with how to rank him because I think the three are really close. Right. And there's different downsides. Of course, you talked about fields is, downside where he's hold on to the ball a little too long and the thing is for me is that he had this problem the year before and he it it got a little bit better and then it kind of fell apart you know um in that uh indiana game it where he's like he started to hold on to the ball a little longer and yeah he was staring guys down staring guys down and then i think and i like him right as a prospect he's gonna be a top 10 guy for me I think he got a little – it almost went the opposite direction after how he played against Clemson, who I think people are giving a little too much credit for how they were defensively. Yeah, the, like, if you look at the years past, it's – like, the team's filled with, the like, uh, first-round prospects. You know, and you look at it now, and the defense, I mean, I don't even know. You know, like, I don't – the Ken, uh, Kendrick would have been – Yeah, who's still a developmental guy and went back and to he, school. And went back to school, yeah. So it's almost like – I get that he did it against Clemson, but it's like who like Clemson really as much as I threw the kinship sink at him, you know, it just, it wasn't like he was going against this top tier talent. Like he was against Alabama, which I'm not trying to knock him for that, but you get what I mean. Um, in terms of that, Wilson is interesting to me. The one thing that, that I can't get over is in the tape against Houston, the throws to the sideline, it didn't look like it had the zip that you would have expected it to, and he couldn't get them high into the outside like you would really want. And it, it's sticking with me, and I can't get over it. And I, and we've seen him; we see him hit the deep ball all the time. We know he has the arm to do it. So I guess like it's of course something that gets developed over time. I'm, I don't know who the BYU offensive coordinator is or the quarterback coach is, but. You know, who, wherever he ends up, it's going to be 10 times better. So that's really my issue with him is that it, it, I can't get over it, you know? It's in his base. He, he, play, he throws without his, his setting his feet a lot or he doesn't drive the ball. It's a coaching thing, and I'm not blaming those coaches. It's just that I think Wilson knows he can get away with it. You yeah. know, watching that Houston game, he was probably laughing that the corners weren't turned back. No, to you're the ball. right. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a absolutely something that needs to be coached up. But I, I think that the, the fact that he can make those throws, yeah, exactly. doing those simple things is very interesting. Well, that's yeah, That's the thing is that like, he's making the throws and you know, he has the arm to do it. Like, so yeah. when he puts it all together and that's something you develop. And then the thing with Lance for me is obviously it's, I think he played in 16 games. I like him a lot. Um, he missed a lot of layups. It seemed where he you can tell he, he hasn't dedicated yeah he hasn't been a dedicated quarterback what i mean by that is quincy told me this he he has not just trained to be a quarterback his entire life he's yeah. so raw so raw at the position where he's an athlete playing quarterback that's now training to be a quarterback and who did we hear that about in 2018 Josh Allen. Oh, Lamar. Well, Josh Lamar Allen. too. <laughs> oh, i guess uh, i <laughs> thought you were going to have uh say the same name but, but whatever no it's it's uh, true though i mean they both yeah. those guys are both they're they're guy i mean josh allen had that like growth spurt in high school yeah uh and, lamar was a guy that people thought was, was supposed to play a different position i mean yeah. they're, and they're both the two best guys in that class yeah and 
I mean, I don't know about Lamar with working. I'm pretty sure from what I remember is that Josh Allen, it was his first time meeting with like working out in the off season with a quarterback yeah, coach yeah, or with, with other guys. Yes. So that's what I mean by that is like, if Traylon Jr. has been working with someone for all these all this time, and all of a sudden he's he's still twenties, I'm pretty sure he's the youngest guy of the class. I think so too. Um, who's someone's age is very high. Hold on, who the hell was it? Trask. 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 Well, it's a couple of them. Ian Book. Trask. Trask didn't start in high school. Oh yes, you're right. So he wasn't recruited to be like the starter there. Jamie Newman's twenty three. Ellinger's 22 on draft night. Ian Book's 23. Trask, Buscelli, um, Franks. Yeah, so, but the other guy, of course, the fact that he's 20 and he's, I don't know, I, I, I like him a lot, I think. Um, but I'm kind of torn. I, I, I think I'm Lawrence Fields, Wilson, and then Lance, but I, I hate having Lance at quarterback four. Where Not would you the have way. the past, if you combine the past, the last four and this year's four, where would you put a, Ooh, rank man. everybody? Um, well, I guess it sucks that I just put you on the spot, but <laughs> I would have Lawrence one. I would have Burrow two. I would have, Oh man, this is difficult. Wilson three fields, four, two of five. Lance and then Herbert. Okay, and then Love where at the end? And then Love it. Uh, no, I would have Love. I think I'd Love before Herbert. I did not like Herbert. Okay. Um. I well, that's a lot. Okay. The Herbert problem thing with me is I loved Herbert when I thought he was going to declare, and then I don't know what happened to him his senior year, and mm-hmm. the fact that he he didn't seem interested in going to the NFL early after that great year was like, okay, what's going on here? And then he was bad his senior year. Um, I just, you know, I saw him very similar to how I viewed Josh Allen. I said, this is a guy that you could take and you need to develop him because he has a lot of bad habits against pressure. He has a little bit of confidence issues in his accuracy. And we just saw a totally different player as a rookie this year. All right. So let's, let's finish this up and uh, let's hear your picks for uh, the weekend and who you have as a Super Bowl champ. Yeah, so I, I whew, man, I, I did this yesterday where I think Green Bay, I actually bought Green Bay up. I think Green Bay covers by six. Ooh. And then, and then I, I think the Chiefs cover, but I would not buy them up. I think they win. I think the field goal is a very fair spread. I think the Bills are going to be super competitive. Uh, I like the over in the Green Bay game, more confident about the over in the Green Bay game than the Bills game. Although I, if I had to choose, I'd pick the over in both. And then I think we'll have a Packers Chiefs Super Bowl, which is pretty cool because that was Super Bowl one. And then who do you got? I'm going to go with Green Bay. Okay. Um, I know that that shocks people, but I, I, there's something special with this Green Bay team. Rodgers is bought into the system. Uh, they're feeding off their fans right now, but the, they, they don't need that to win games. They can run the ball with three different running backs. I think Alan Lazard is really picking it up at the right time. The defense is pretty timely group. I, I think Green Bay this year. All right, last question because this just intrigued me a little bit. What do you think they do with Rodgers in the, I guess, 
next couple <laughs> of years? Do they move well, on? Have you heard anything about Love and and whatnot? It's just something that it, they're a weird franchise. I, I don't. I think they just start Rogers again next year and make Love sit. I really do. And then they'll evaluate it again after next year. It, any other team would probably consider trading one of them, and you obviously yeah. trade Love because Rogers could win you a Super Bowl. Um, but they're a weird franchise. They don't move like other franchises do. I think they. I think we're getting just. They're just running back what they did this year, next year. Interesting. All right. So uh, thank you for coming on, and I appreciate course, it. Man. Hope you enjoy Championship Sunday. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, dude.